This event is supported by Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, Anheuser-Busch, the Texas Municipal League, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, Fibertown, Texas State Technical College, the Texas Association of School Business Officials, the Hackett Center for Mental Health at the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, and Southwest Airlines, the official airline of Texas Tribune Events. It is hosted by Texas A&M University Corpus Christi. Media support is provided by the Corpus Christi Caller Times. Foundation support is provided by the Hatton W. Sumner's Foundation and the Houston Endowment. So I wanted to start, and just a quick reminder, um, you guys are pros at this by now. Um, we're a few panels into the day, but we are going to reserve uh, time at the end for questions. So as things come up in our conversation, write them down, make a note, and um, there are mics here at the front of the room. Um, but I think where I wanted to start our conversation today by just getting an update from the three of you on um, you know, where things stand right now, um, and you're all part of the same kind of school community, education community here in Corpus, but you represent different aspects. Um, so it'd be good to just kind of to get a, you know, a short briefing on, on, on how things are going. Um, would you like to start, uh, sure. Dr. Alvarado? Yes. Uh, just give you a, a little bit of background of, of who we are. And so we serve 49 traditional districts and charter oh, schools okay. in, in our region. And of those 49 districts, uh, 39 of them, 36 of them, excuse me, were, were declared under the uh, Governor's de Declaration Proclamation. So we serve a little over 105,000 students in our, in our region. And of those 105, 100,000 kids were impacted, were, are being served by the districts and charter schools in, in our region. So kind of give you just a, a really perspective. And so we work really closely with the education, uh, Texas Education Agency, uh, and our Commissioner Morath has been really purposeful in making sure that uh, the support systems that schools need uh, were provided from, from day one. Uh, so we have, uh, have had a lot of conversations, and uh, we also work with uh, Del Mar College in making sure that uh, uh, we are, uh, all our resources are being uh, channeled in the most appropriate way so that we're not duplicating efforts. Mm -hmm. So Del Mar College serves a service area of four and a half counties. That's New Oasis, San Patricio, Aransas, Kennedy, and part of Claiborne County. And as such, that's a half million people more or less dis dispersed in those counties. Aransas and San Patricio County it took the brunt of the storm. And so from a financial standpoint, you know, really where we are, there's two parts I want to talk about, financial and then the demographics part. We're bouncing back. Our, our budgets were, were large going into the storm. We were preparing, you know, um, we were budgeting for a 5% enrollment. We were at 6% actual, 98% paid. We were in an ideal uh, situation. I won't say perfect storm today, but we were getting ready for this and going into the storm. Once the storm hit, we were four points down. That was a six, that was a 10 point spread. That financially um, impacted us. We left these large classrooms open. We, uh, these uh, large number of classrooms with small enrollments in them, gave students money back with no questions asked, those sorts of things. That's kind of the, the, the setup for the financial situation that we're really in right now. Um, we're okay. We froze some dollars midstream, and we're hanging on to those dollars to close out the year uh, flat, probably a little bit of excess. So that's the financial standpoint. And we still haven't closed out our summer enrollment, and that's what we're waiting for um, as summer approaches quickly. 
that's kind of the scenario that way. We're managing our dollars because it took our enrollment took that hit. You know, our families are starting to recover, especially in the northern uh, part of our district, in the San Patricia and Aransas counties, and all throughout Refugio and all around uh, up on the upper coast from, from Corpus Christi. Um, where the thing that's different from our sister colleges up the coast is the rooftops left in our counties. Floods came and went, still terrible both scenarios, but with those rooftops left, when they left, uh, the families left. And so we're slowly finding them coming back at this point. That's just kind of a general snapshot of where we are right now. Okay, Superintendent. Puerto Aransas ISD is a 2A district um, just up the road here on Mustang Island. And our school district, just like our entire community, took a beating from Harvey. Um, we had the wind damage as well as the, the flood damage from rains and from storm surge. And so our little district uh, was closed for seven weeks after Hurricane Harvey hit, uh, with the majority of our students having to enroll in school and wherever they were displaced to. Uh, quite a few in Flower Bluff ISD and other school districts. And so after seven weeks, we were able to get back open in our school district, but we weren't in any of our buildings. We had to bring in temporary portable classroom buildings for every single classroom in the district. And so um, that was difficult, but I think um, at the same time, within just a couple of weeks of reopening, after October 16th when we reopened, we had 92% of our students re-enroll in Puerto Aransas ISD. Um, many of them came back to homes that um, we would say are, are unlivable. Others are still commuting every day from Flower Bluff or Corpus Christi, which weren't hit quite so bad, to come to school every day. But um, we had incredible community support from our city and from all of our families to get our schools back open because it was important to them. They felt like it was the, the hope that our community would recover when the schools reopened in Puerto Aransas. Um, after the Christmas holidays in January, we reopened our high school and our elementary with basically every surface in both of those schools having to be replaced as a result of the storm. Uh, we are still in portable buildings for our middle school, but uh, it is almost done. And uh, actually, since we only have a couple weeks of school left, we're going to be moving as soon as school is out back into the middle school. And then we're repairing outdoor facilities right now. Wow. So, I mean, Doors closed for seven weeks mm -hmm. out of school, and, and um, Dr. Alvarado, maybe you can address this, you know, for the other, other school districts in the district as well. Um, what I mean, what kinds of challenges do you face when you have student? And you know, I know part of the problem is is sometimes your student, some of your student population, doesn't come back; they are displaced. They go to other districts. Um, but I mean, what as an educator, as someone, what kinds of challenges do you? do educators face when, you know, not only have they encountered their own losses, but they're dealing with students who may or may not have, you know, been enrolled in schools and other places, right. um, and they're coming from a very chaotic situation. Right. Seven weeks is, is a pretty big chunk it's of the school year. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. Well, again, there are quite a few challenges. And first of all, for the schools, um, like Flower Bluff and others, you know, they were starting school as well. They had plans in place. They had schedules done and classroom rosters done. And here comes, you know, a few hundred Puerto Aransas kids into their schools. And um, I just can't say enough for that partnership that we have with Flower Bluff and other school districts who welcomed our students in with open arms, went above and beyond. Our students had everything they needed, every school supply, backpack, clothes, you name it. 
um, the community in many school districts, but um, especially the majority at Flower Bluff, just went above and beyond to welcome our students. Um, our staff members, who again were also dealing with their own personal losses, um, showed up at Flower Bluff, you know, just to welcome our students and make sure they saw a friendly face every single day. Our coaches went out there to work with our students. And so we're just really grateful for that partnership and how welcoming they were to us and how they realized um, it would be good for our students, but I'll also say it was good for our staff um, to see their students. Um, one of the stories I heard from Flower Bluff was um, our high school principal went over there to meet with our students that were enrolled there one day just to check in with them and see how they were doing. And, you know, they were more worried about their teachers. You know, <laughs> are teachers okay? Are our teachers, you know, gonna still have jobs? Are they still getting paid? And all of those things. And so that just meant a lot to us that our students were concerned about their teachers mm -hmm. back in Port Aransas. When we reopened on October 16th, there were all kinds of logistical challenges with having every single classroom in the district in a portable building. And um, we even went across the street to the First Baptist Church that had horrible damage too, just so we could have a room big enough to have band rehearsals in. Um, so everybody just came together, we made it work. Um, we had an incredible uh, company come in to do our reconstruction girl off, who they went out of their way to make things work for us. When it was every day, you know, every day moving fences, every day doing whatever they had to do to make sure our kids could go back and forth to the playground, go back and forth to the cafeteria and things like that. So lots and lots of logistics. Um, and what I try to explain to people is that as educators, we are used to rallying around kids and families that are in crisis. You know, when there's a death in the family or a tragedy, you know, that's what we do. We rally around them. And I think in this situation, what has been the hardest is that all of our kids and families were in a chaotic, disastrous situation, but so was all of our staff. Um, I think if we um, had to turn in for the state, if you applied the same criteria, that we use to um, code students as homeless to our staff. Last fall, it was over 80% of our staff would have been considered homeless. Before spring break, it was still a third of our staff would have still been considered homeless. And so that was a different kind of challenge. It was good in a way, we were all in the same boat. We all kind of understood what the other person was going through and what our kids were going through when, you know, the first time it actually got cold in Puerto Aransas this fall. And, you know, or this winter, and the first time it got cold, and you had no idea if you had a jacket or gloves, or for some of our kids, they hadn't put on a pair of real shoes, you know, since the storm, and just having to, do you have it? And if you do, where is it? Because you're still displaced somewhere. Um, so some of those challenges were really um, exponential. And it was just, we had to learn to kind of see things a different way, to accept help. You know, we're used to helping. Our, our teachers, our families are used to helping others. And so we had to be receptive and accept help. And, and people have been so kind and so generous. Um, we continue to have just some challenges with um, students and staff being displaced from their homes still or moving back into homes that aren't quite ready yet, or, um, but they had to, you know, to have a place to live. Obviously, there's some anxiety and, and stress that we all deal with. But, um, We've, again, had a lot of support. We brought some support in, and we just um, help each other out. That's what community does. Uh, well, I want to, speaking of logistics, I want to ask you about the partnership with Flower Bluff. Is that something that um, was kind of part of an emergency plan ahead of time, or is that something that kind of evolved in the need of the moment? I would say it evolved, but it evolved quickly. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, as soon as we figured out within basically a week after the storm, we knew. 
um, that, you know, when you first see it, you think, okay, maybe it's not that bad, you know, um, but it was that bad. <laughs> Every single uh, square foot in the district had damage to it, and so, um, I honestly don't remember if I reached out to them first or they reached out to me yeah. first, but it was, it felt like it was overnight, yeah. you know, when I had to, and that's the worst feeling in the world to have to tell your families, you're going to have to go enroll somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long this is going to take. Um, but they immediately jumped on it and they held a special registration for our kids. I mean, we talked every day, we did busing. I mean, we did things that from what I understand, no one had ever done before, but we were just looking for ways to make things work for our kids and for our families. Um, and so again, it was just every day, every morning, every night, we were talking, what else do we need to do? What have we not thought of? What came up today and how can we solve it? Mm -hmm. And so um, I would say it evolved quickly more than anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've always had a good relationship. Um, but what a blessing it was that they're 25, 30 minutes down the road and they didn't have anywhere near the damage that we had. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to accept our kids and accept our families and, and not just accept them, but really go out of their way to and not only teach them, but love them and take care of them. That's great. And Dr. Alvarado, so you said about 100,000 students in the region that, that your um, ESC serves were affected by Hurricane Harvey. What do you know about how those students are doing today are, how, how many of them have returned to districts in the region? Do you have any kind of big picture idea of how things are, are going there? I don't know the exact number, but I can, I can give you uh, uh, Rockport, yeah. Francis County. So pre-Harvey, there were a little over 3,000 students enrolled. Post-Harvey, there are about two, a little over 2,500 enrolled. So they have lost about 600, 500 kids. Uh, so uh, it goes back to what Sharon was talking about is that they have, don't have a home to come to, so they can't come back to work, or their parents don't have jobs to go work where, where they used to work, so they're choosing to stay wherever they're at. However, I think I want to add to what Sharon's story, because I think it speaks to the, the partnerships that superintendents in our region have, have formed over time, and uh, right after the storm, uh, the superintendents who weren't as impacted, like the six districts who in our region who were very heavily impacted, uh, were calling. So. Uh, once things got settled down, maybe like a week afterwards, we started having daily conference calls with our, our superintendents who were impacted and then those others who, how can we support? So uh, Gregory Portland ISD, uh, they took in over 7,000 students from the other districts who were impacted by the hurricane and Sinton as well and Taft. And so it was just about, the, they weren't worried about how we were, they were gonna pay for all these things because that wasn't on their radar. They were worried about how do we help serve these kids who, who we want to have an education. And also the Texas Education Agency, Commissioner Morath was, uh, uh, made a phone call as well about, so how do we educate these kids because we can't have them out of school for such long periods of time. So it was about uh, everyone working together about sharing textbooks, sharing computers, sharing all those resources and not worried about uh, the accountability of all of those resources. Uh, and I think the agency was really uh, instrumental in, in helping us to uh, streamline some processes and some procedures and protocols to be able to get those things done. And uh, you know, Commissioner Marath and the agency staff were always, uh, what do you need, what can we do, what, what rule do we have to change to make sure it happens? And, and then of course our elected officials, uh, they were very instrumental in making sure that uh, districts like Sharon's and others uh, receive the resources that they need. So it sounds like some of these partnerships um, 
there are relationships that exist prior to when a natural disaster strikes because you're necessarily in communication, but a lot of this does, this kind of planning has to take place after the emergency happens because you yes. just don't know right. which districts are going to be right. hit, which districts are gonna have what resources and, and which needs. Right, and it wasn't just school districts either. Like, for example, as soon as we had to make the call to encourage our folks to enroll somewhere else, you know, we went to the district and got all of our student records and took them to the service center. We kind of moved into a room on the third floor at the service center with our staff so that when our students did go enroll in another district, whether it was Bluff or somewhere in Texas or even out of state, we were able to use the service center's um, technology and facilities to get those records because we wanted, our kids were already in chaos and we wanted to make that transition as smooth as possible. When we had this special enrollment day for our students at Flower Bluff ISD, Delmar showed up because we had so many kids that were taking dual credit classes through our partnership with Delmar for college and high school credit. Um, and here we were already a couple of weeks behind. They had been closed. The bluff had even been closed for a week and we have all these online classes and dual credit and what do we do? And they were there and they just talked to every single student individually and figured out a way to make it work. Yeah. So their students wouldn't lose their opportunity to earn college credit because of the storm. And so we, it was everybody. I mean, everybody jumped in and worked together. I can't say enough about our city officials, our county officials constantly reaching out to me. What can we do to help? And sometimes it was something real simple and sometimes it was something really major, like we really need electricity um, back on. And what can we do to help make that work? And so um, it was everybody just working together, really kind of the epitome of what communities are, are supposed to be like, where everybody jumps in um, to help everybody out. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Escamilla, what did it look like at the community college level when you had to shut doors and um, figure out how you were gonna win and how you were gonna reopen and what that was gonna look like financially? So ultimately, we were supposed to start um, on the 28th and we pushed the date out only a week. So because the storm you know, went to the north of us, the eye of the storm, excuse me, went to the north of us, we sustained relatively minimal damage, all things considered. We had some. Um, power outage was our biggest challenge. Lines down, that sort of thing. Um, you know, our, we're only as strong as our partnerships, our relationships. I've said that for a long time. I believe it now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we became a command center for the city and the county. We have a FEMA emergency sh uh, hurricane shel a storm shelter dome. There's shelter there, yeah. And I slept in it that night. Wow. And I stayed back. Um, because I didn't want to leave a lot of things. Um, you've ridden out a few hurricanes with, mom, with, with, with dad over the years, and then you kind of, you become your dad and all that other weird <laughs> stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but I had a dome. Don't feel sorry for me. I, I, I knew so many people were out in the community. We were staying in touch that way. I was in the dome. I was more than okay with all the police officers and firefighters and so forth. We turned the keys over became the command center to the, to the city and the county. So this is you sheltered at, at your, our west campus, at your college, our, yeah. our FEMA dome at our west campus, yeah. So, you know, in less than a year after commissioning that, th uh, that dome, we had two water emergencies and we turned it over and then a hurricane just like that. I yeah. mean, it's like we opened the door and used it right away for other things than, than instruction as we're using it now. So, so that was kind of the scenario there. Um, you know, we just turned over everything we could, all of our resources did everything we could. But here's the interesting thing. When I came out of the dome at 5.30 in the morning after landfall at 10 o'clock that night, 
I had my, um, those who know me, I only drive a pickup truck. And um, this is a re there's a reason why. I, um, I had it loaded down and everything else, and I was there with the police officers, and as soon as they scooted out at 5.30, I just blended in with them and jumped out and got in my truck. They were telling us not to go. I didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> and so I jumped out in the community, and I went, and I had to go check on the campuses and everything else, check on mom's house. Mm -hmm. uh, they were up north, but anyway, check on all these, our own places. I, I just spent the whole day uh, checking on the campuses and everything else uh, right away. But the interesting thing that I found is when I got there, there was nobody around. There weren't any police officers, they were out working. Yeah. And it was the most eerie feeling to think that I was it. Yeah. And I'm like, usually I rely on other people to be it in <laughs> yeah. those circumstances. And it was the most um, enlightening moment to sit there and say, my fences are down, my campus is okay, the campuses are okay. It, it, they're kind of trashed with limbs and other things like that. And so I said, quickly, I need to get back to the dome mm -hmm. and re-engage and you know, be the command center, start bringing resources and, and folks back to the campus. We had a team of two or three facilitating the dome. Um, so quickly, you learn that no matter what plan you may have in place, yeah. it is a situational leadership type of, of opportunity for anybody who goes through mm -hmm. it. You just have to deal with what you have. Um, I think it becomes the who, who first. Mm -hmm. You know, the who is the most important thing. Who do you have available and go from there kind of scenario. So, again, relationships being what they were, um, we were able to quickly come back online. Um, but then, we, then the details um, of the damage in our northern part of our service area started coming in, and it really began to sink in um, the devastation that truly was um, the effects of the storm. Um, outside of that, again, we, we did everything we could to provide for those students. There were many students who just came back and said, hey, I don't have a house anymore. Um, that that $1,200 I gave you for tuition um, is all I have. No questions asked, give it back to them. Wow. We were just, we said, you just, you do not get to sit there and question people. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, we believe only those who needed it asked for it and they got it back. Mm -hmm. And that was just, you know, um, we got the team set up as quickly as we could to, to accommodate that. And we adjusted schedules with all of our dual credit partners. And we have, tw at the time, I think we had 2,400 dual credit students. Those are great partnerships with all of our high schools. As Sharon was saying, all throughout the ESC. And we did everything we could to accommodate. And uh, what, the, what, what our teams did um, within the district to, within the college, to, uh, to provide for those students was, I mean, it's just a, it's a tremendous human story, it really is. What percentage, do you have an idea of what percentage of your enrollment that you ended up losing after the storm? So we were, we ended up 4% down, a 4% of about 11,500, that's a round number. Okay. So several hundred students were gone, and, we, and then what we did was we, 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 we shifted and implemented smaller semesters within the 16-week traditional semester and, and saw them kind of coming back a little. Mm -hmm. And then in the spring semesters when we leveled out, if you will. Okay. And so we think we made up most of that 4% in the spring. Um, some of those were obviously new students, but um, it, we leveled out. And I think we continue to see them on a regular basis, mm -hmm. um, kind of trickling in. Some we've just lost to other school districts up north. 
but that negative 4% when we were 6% up, you know, that 10 point spread is, yeah. um, I don't, we won't make it back, um, but we're doing good to just come back to, um, to a flat scenario. Mm -hmm. And I also, I wanted to ask about your, your dome. Is this, is this a, like a sporting, or what, what kind of facility is it exactly? And do you, was it in the plant? It, you had said you had used it for previous emergencies. Is, was that kind of something you had in mind when you constructed it? It is a FEMA emergency, it's a storm shelter. Okay, it's, so this it's was built for the hurricane. Built for that it is on built, your campus. On our campus, it was through FEMA. Um, there are several in the city. Teloso Midway, I think, has a couple. Cal Allen has one. I think Woodsboro has one. They're, they're, they're all scattered along the coast. And we jumped in there. Uh, several years ago when they were proposed by the federal government. And it was an investment, um, well, I just gotta say the federal government came in and I think mm -hmm. they paid, uh, I don't have the final numbers in my head, but I wanna say 60 cents on the dollar, maybe 50 cents on the dollar for us to build it. We couldn't say no to it. Uh, we had to pull some, some of our piggy bank together and invest in that. Um, you know, uh, when those kind of opportunities come and you know, you're, you, you're a kid growing up in Corpus when Celia was here and when Alan hit, you ride those storms out, Gilbert and all these other storms, you say, I bet you that's gonna be useful yeah, one day. it's gonna come in handy. You know, <laughs> I, I, I bet you we're gonna be able to use it for weird things like water situations too, but that's okay. Um, but it's not, a, we, we do not have a football team um, or a baseball team. Okay. Um, yet, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am just kidding. But it, it, is, it is an instructional unit. We, we have close partnerships with Corpus Christi Fire Department and we train our cadets in there. We, it's a classroom scenario. They do use it for skills training and all of those sorts of things. So there is big open space and we also use it for public venues such as this. Okay. Uh, so speaking of the federal government, I wanted to kind of ask Dr. Alvarado and um, the superintendent, uh, you know, what you've talked a little, I've heard praise so far for the legislature, though I do want to come back to that, and for local and county officials. Um, how, how have your dealings been with the federal government, and, and what have you seen of the federal government's response? Well, I've learned a lot. <laughs> um, I would say for the most part, um, especially right after the storm, we had a lot of people reach out to us um, but I guess as we all kind of know, but I really experienced um, nothing moves in the timeline that you want it to, um, even in the midst of an emergency, in the midst of a disaster. And so we learned real quick that we weren't gonna sit around and wait. We had to get our schools reopened. We had to get our, our folks back, our kids back, our staff back, and so we did a lot ourselves. Um, went to several meetings, met with more people than I could ever count. Um, from FEMA and from the federal government reaching out to us to let us know how they could help in the future. <laughs> um, so we are pursuing uh, FEMA public assistance for some of our, especially our outdoor facilities that were damaged that weren't um, covered or not fully covered by insurance, not because um, we weren't insured, but just the nature of the beast, they just don't cover those things. And so it's a very long process and you, really have to go out on a limb and get things done and pay for things and then hope that FEMA and grants or whatever else will come through to help you um, reimburse yourselves um, for the things that you've already paid for. So you're in a situation where as a district, you have to figure out where the money is to go and whether it's through insurance, whether it's through other funds. 
fix the things you need to get fixed, and then there's the application process that happens to get the yes. aid for reimbursement. Right, and we've Fingers been doing the application the process for almost nine months now okay. for hours and hours every week. Wow. Um, so it takes a very long time. It takes a lot of man hours. Um, and that's administrative hours that you know could be spent on top of everything else. Right, on top of everything else right now. Yeah. So it's, it's very long, it's very complicated. Um, we've worked hard. Um, I, I keep hearing that we're the ones that are testing things out. Uh, a lot with FEMA, and I wouldn't have known this before the storm, but now I'm, I really know. Uh, they've changed the way they do their public assistance program in the last few years. And so this is the first major disaster where they've um, implemented this new program. And I think they've learned some things that work <laughs> and don't work. I've certainly told them about some things that work and don't work um, through the new program. And so it, it's been a challenge. It, it really has been a challenge. Great people. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody wants to help. They're super nice, super compassionate. But just the whole bureaucracy, um, yeah. it, it just takes a long time. And so um, I think someone else earlier mentioned resiliency. You know, you, you just we just have to work together and figure it out, mm -hmm. you know. Um, we're going to do it. We're going to bring portables in. We're going to get our schools reopened, and we'll figure out later, you know, how we're going to make it work on the books. But we got to get our kids back, and we got to get our teachers back in school. Yeah, Dr. Alvarado. Commissioner Morath had some, uh, you know, insight and foresight about uh, the frustrations that uh, districts are probably going to encounter because uh, in our region, the, the six districts who are impacted the most are really small districts, and so they don't have a whole lot of support systems. Right other staff to be able to do those things because it really falls on Sharon and her staff to do, do all those things. And so uh, he asked us to hire a person to assist them in the, uh, the forms of FEMA and through that whole process. Because I think one of the frustrations that districts were kept encountering was uh, the people kept changing from FEMA. So the information that we're giving kept changing as well. So it was causing a lot of frustration. So uh, we, along with Region 3, uh, our sister in Region 3, hired a per two people to be able to help districts to uh, facilitate that conversation. And those two individuals that we hired uh, were part of the Galveston Ike uh, hurricane. Okay. So they had some experience with, with FEMA at the time, but then some things changed. So, but they still were able to be able to help them weed through a lot of those, those processes. And then uh, the commissioner has also assigned Candace Stoltz uh, as, as a point of contact for, for us and for school districts. So any time that the districts have a question or we have a question about this process or that process or that organization, uh, Candace is really good about uh, troubleshooting for us and giving us a response so that, uh, and kind of going through all of the, the stuff that has to go through. So uh, through the commissioner and the governor, uh, they have been really responsive and, and really responded in the most proactive way to be able to help our, our districts. Uh, so you've been able to rely on them to some extent to provide support in dealing with, with FEMA um, and kind of figuring out the process, the right process that needs to be followed. Yes, uh, when we have the conference calls, uh, maybe for the first six months after the hurricane, we used to have weekly phone calls with the commissioner and his staff and talking about, okay, so what about this, what about that? And so it was really a great process for us to be able to go call the district and say, okay, so with this, here's, here's an, an opportunity for us to be able to do whether they be a grant or a resource or a support system. Uh, so uh, he was really instrumental in making sure that uh, districts were, what they had to worry about was getting kids back in school, mm -hmm. and he was going to help us, help them also think about the other processes that had to take place as well. Okay. 
Um, I wanted to shift just a little bit and ask about, I know that Commissioner Morath has waived some testing requirements for our school districts um, that were affected by Harvey, um, but I want to ask kind of about the bigger accountability picture. Um, what types of, what kind of flexibility is available to school district? Is there more that's needed? Um, what are some of the challenges that you're, that you're seeing there? Commissioner Morath is very sensitive to the to the to the conversations the superintendents have had, and a decision has not been made on on waiving the accountability system. But but I know uh, he's he's talking to the staff about it, and will come up with some kind of a process to be able to to assist some of these students who, you know, testing was probably not on their mind, uh, yeah. uh, given all of the re the experiences that they experienced. So I think that's still yet to come. And just to clarify, there wasn't a large reduction in the testing this year. Um, basically, it was um, for students in grades five and eight, what we call the SSI grade student success initiative grades, and um, they just don't have to take the third test. So like if they take it the first time and don't pass in the second time, there's normally a third time that happens during the summer, and that's the only thing that's been waived. So, so we've actually been portion. testing every day yeah. for the last two weeks um, on our campuses. Um, however, with the accountability, again, I think there's been a lot of, um, verbally we've heard a lot of um, what I believe will be positive regard as far as accountability goes this year, um, but we haven't seen anything in writing yet or any major announcements yet. Um, but you know, again, every single one of our families, every single one of our staff members was um, impacted significantly by the storm. And you know, in, in Port Aransas ISD, we're known for having that legacy of excellence. And we pride ourselves not only on test scores, but college credits and success in a lot of arenas other than just test scores. But um, when our teachers came back in on October 9th and we all met in the elementary cafeteria because it was the only place we had um, that was almost, you know, inhabitable at the time, yeah. and we all came back in. And, you know, these are teachers that have been through a lot and one of the first things they asked me about was, you know, what about our kids? What about testing? What about scores? And I just said, uh-uh, <laughs> we're not worrying about that right now. Um, we said from day one on October 9th that um, our goal was to do everything we could to get our students back in school, to get them reacclimated, back to normalcy, and then getting them ready to, to go into the next grade. So for example, um, I wanted to make sure all my second graders, before they walk in the door this coming August, that they're ready for third grade. Mm -hmm. And so whatever that means, because we don't want gaps to continue to grow. Some of our students went to school, a few didn't. A lot were in turmoil, and so maybe their, their learning wasn't to the level that we're used to. And we just said, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure there's not a gap that continues to grow. So I want all my English 1 students ready for English 2 this coming August. I want all my 7th graders ready for 8th grade when they walk in the door this coming August. So whatever that looks like. Um, lots of classroom instruction since October 16th. Lots of intervention. We're doing an expanded summer school. We're doing some specialized tutoring. We're working with our City Parks and Rec, who does summer camps to do some literacy, you know, fun activities so the kids won't know. Um, but really implementing a lot of the literacy um, strategies to really help our students be successful when they come back in August. So I, I, I'm not worried about scores and accountability. Um, hope, again, that the commissioner in the state will give some, uh, uh, some grace in that area. We also need to remember, too, that a lot of that is from the federal government. There's yeah. a lot of that that the state doesn't have any 
um, control or power over. And so the federal government would also have to step in for some of those um, districts and schools that may be impacted this year. Yeah. And when you talk about um, trying to help students reacclimate, return to normalcy, are there uh, steps that you've had to take outside of just kind of the instructional side, um, perhaps additional counseling, counseling mm -hmm. services, things like that that right. you know that might be a few yes. you know steps beyond than what you would provide during a school year when a hurricane yes. hadn't hit. <laughs> yes. Well, one of the things that we did before the storm, we had um, a contracted service with a licensed professional counselor. He worked with some of our students in middle school and high school outside of the school day. So, because there was, even before the storm, there was nothing available in Puerto Rianzas. And so, if students, families needed those services, you know, they had to take a half a day off of school or work, go to Corpus to have their appointment. So, we had already done that in a very limited capacity. And um, after the storm, because of some generous grants from Rebuild Texas and other organizations, we were able to expand that. And, um, well, one of the things we had to do was get him a place to see students. We didn't, we didn't have an office. Yeah. We had nowhere for him to see students. And so um, our local education foundation funded one of those mobile offices to come in. It's still in the parking lot right next to the administration <laughs> building. We call it the railroad car. But they come <laughs> in and they see students. At, he sees students right there as a contracted service. So we were able to bring that office in so those services could continue. We've expanded them. And then just in January, we were, um, we had been looking and we were finally able to find an LPC who works with younger students, with our elementary students. Again, it's a contracted service um, that uh, we just provide space for them mm -hmm. to see our students there in our school district. And so um, we would love to expand that, but there's just really a lack of, of resources. There's yeah. not a lot of, you know, professional counselors in our area that are that are able to come and do that for us. Yeah. Um, and when you say it's a contracted ser service, that's something that's it's going to come out of your your school budget, or it sounds like you've been able to seek outside grants. Yes, we've for been that very well. blessed with donations. You know, we had so many people asking, "What do you need? What do you need?" And I said, "Well, <laughs> our families need this. Our students need this. This will help our school and help our students." And so, um, again, very blessed by organizations stepping in to help meet that need. So we are um, approaching a legislative session uh, mm -hmm. next year, and um, I just wanted to hear from the three of you, kind of having given through, given what you've experienced, um, what needs to happen, what, what's on your ask list from the legislature? Is, are there things that can be changed, can be done um, to help make this you know, when the next natural disaster hits, either in the coastal area, other parts of the state, to, uh, to help school communities recover more quickly? I think I want to, before I answer that question, I want to sure. go back to something Karen said, I mean, Sharon said about uh, funds. And the commissioner has recently released, uh, and he instructed staff to streamline the process for grants applications. Because I said earlier, we have small school districts who, they don't have the time to be able to go through a, a document to fill out a grant. So it's a two, three pager now. So uh, there's four grants that have recently gone out. One is emergency impact aid, and that is for school districts to apply uh, for uh, a grant to be able to address the needs of the students who are impacted by the storm. 
uh, and they can receive anywhere from $8,500 to $10,000, depending on the needs of the student. And these are uh, grants that are coming from, this, from that are administered yes. through TEA? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another one is for homeless youth and children. Uh, and that is to help uh, districts with uh, serve the needs of those students who were displaced, the homeless that were displaced. And then we have one that is a, a restart grant, and that one is available to both districts and charter schools, and along with non-public uh, schools, uh, private schools, to be able to restart elementary and secondary schools. And then the third, the last one, the fourth one, is a Project Serve grant, and, and that one is to, to be able to uh, provide support systems, such as what Chair was talking about, uh, counseling services, and uh, because in the districts that were impacted the most, uh, they probably shared a counselor from the elementary and the middle school and the high school, mm -hmm. and this will provide some, some, more, some more dollars to be able to provide some services for them. So, so I think that there's, uh, uh, there's dollars available. It's just a matter of, of us applying for those, and the commissioner, uh, I keep saying the commissioner because I think he has done a, a wonderful job in making sure that uh, the agency staff looks for resources that our districts need to be able to help the, the students that they serve and the communities that they serve. So I think, uh, to your question, I think it's, it's about uh, what other resources are available that districts can apply for to be able to do the things that they had to do to go back to where they were August before the hurricane hit and, and then to re continue to rebuild, to build on those, those things. And it sounds like, you know, being what resources are there and um, you know, how can we make the process of getting those resources more efficient, you know, the streamlining yes. that you mentioned. Yeah. Yes. So I think I've, I've heard from a lot of the districts saying, you know, a three I can do a three-pager. I just cannot do this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think through the legislative session in preparation for it, um, I think, is, first of all, what Chairman Hunter, uh, Chairman Lozano, Chairman Adetto, Senator Jose have done for us here locally, what they did for us. They were in communication with us every, every second of the, of the incident, shall we say. And I think staying in touch with them to work on insurance types of things so that we don't backslide off of you know, windstorm and all of these other sorts of things. Uh, I don't know how, how that's gonna turn out. I think the more we can do with them in preparation, um, I think um, the better off we'll be going into the session, obviously. I think we talked to them separately about our local, keep it very local, what our local needs are in that, from that conversation. You know, going into the session, the Association of Community Colleges, besides the funding ask that's always out there at the forefront at the tip of that asking spear, if you will, um, you know, dual credit is our number one policy issue mm -hmm. uh, going forth. Uh, we've just about to, we're about to affirm um, our agenda. When I say our, I'm talking about the 50 community colleges in Texas our collective agenda in June, at the, the, in August, excuse me, at the annual meeting, which, by the way, will be held here in Corpus Christi. So, you know, there, there, there are a couple things, and I think just spending the time um, with our elected officials, hammering out, kind of debriefing, talking about what happened, what can be improved. Um, when you give them the details, they absorb them. That's the kind of, that's the kind of leadership we have. Um, I think that'll make the difference at the next situation. School finance is broken, and it has been for a long time. And you know, in the last legislative session, there were some ideas and maybe um, some thoughts of some progress, but um, really, again, that nothing came of it. And again, hate to use the phrase, but 
as far as school finance goes, Harvey was the perfect storm. You know, uh, we are, Port Aransas ISD and many other districts in the state of Texas are considered property wealthy districts, which means that um, a percentage of our property taxes are sent then to the state for redistribution, either to property poor um, school districts or even maybe just to the general fund. We don't really know. Um, and Port Aransas is one of those, but 20% of the property wealthy districts in the state of Texas were significantly impacted by Harvey. And so as, as a state, that's why I say it was a perfect storm, because now you know, the state relies on those recapture payments um, to fund other school districts. But then you look at a place like Port Aransas ISD, where for every dollar our local uh, property owners pay in what we call m school property taxes, which is the biggest part of, of your bill, your tax bill, um, for every dollar paid by our local property owners and property taxes, 84 cents of every dollar is forwarded to the state of Texas. And so just this week, we transferred a $2.5 million payment from Port Aransas ISD to the state of Texas. Wow. And I think in the midst of a disaster like this, that is very hard for people to understand. It is very hard for a homeowner that hasn't been in their home in eight months um, to, to pay their taxes and then know that 84 cents of every dollar in the midst of this disaster has been forwarded to the state of Texas. It's very hard for business owners who um, if they've reopened, have spent every dollar, got every loan they possibly could to be able to reopen, and then say to those business owners, yes, 84 cents of every dollar you're paying in property taxes on your business right now after a disaster is being forwarded to the state of Texas. And I tell our lawmakers, you're going to have a hard time <laughs> um, talking to the citizens of Port Aransas right now when for years and years they have paid their property taxes and whether they liked it or not, somewhere in their back of their minds they said, well, at least it's going to help students in other school districts. But yet now that we are the ones in the disaster zone, we are the ones that are impacted, we are the ones where every single one of my students now qualifies for a free breakfast and lunch, we are still paying those kinds of taxes, um, uh, directing them, I should say, back to the state of Texas. The other problem is, for us, everybody says, well, how's it going? Well, we're, we're doing okay right now. We have insurance. We have tax collections. We have the generosity of a lot of people. Um, but if we call this year zero for the storm, year one financially is where we're relying on the state of Texas, our legislators and TEA, um, to try to help us out a little bit. Because, again, in the school finance world with recapture, your recapture payments are based on property values that are basically a year old. So next year, our recapture payments are going to be based on property values from before Harvey, yet our tax collections are going to be based on property values after Harvey. And depending on you know, the guesstimate from the appraisal district and everyone else, that could be a huge gap. In fact, for a while, we were afraid that our recapture payments were going to be more than our total tax collections for next year. Wow. Now that property values perhaps haven't dropped as much, it won't be that severe. Um, but again, it's just a, a perfect example of how we've really got to look at way of, of how we finance public schools in Texas, because when you're that heavily dependent on property values, especially that heavily dependent on property values um, where hurricanes can wipe out 20% of your wealth, wealthy districts in overnight, um, that's not... It hasn't worked yeah. in the last few decades, yeah. and I don't expect that it will. If we keep doing the same thing, it's not going to work. And so we're really asking our legislators to take a look at that 
um, and see what the state needs to do to provide an equitable, solid education for all students in Texas, regardless of where they live, without relying on property values that obviously overnight with the Harvey um, can really impact not only local school districts, but the entire state. Um, well, I think that's a very strong note to conclude our uh, conversation up here on stage. I would like to open it up to questions from the audience. Um, if anyone wants to uh, take a sta stand up, if we can hear you, or there's also micro uh, microphones up here at the front of the room. Um, if you guys are still thinking, <laughs> I actually had an additional question. Um, what, what is something that you that y'all have learned that you would pass on to other, other school districts, other community colleges in the state um, when it comes to just emergency preparedness? Sure. I, I was waiting for that question. <laughs> and I thought about it a lot. Yeah. It is a, um, it's how we react as institutions with so many lives that we're responsible for, so much property after lives. And we need to be brave enough, ready enough um, to make decisions and err on the side of safety. Don't sit there and second guess Mother Nature. Don't, you know, I've, I, I, that's, that's been a, a, a pet peeve of mine since I arrived at Del Mar. And um, because I think heretofore decisions were being made by folks that just, oh, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. Mm. Um, and you know, when you take uh, steps to an error on the side of safety, an error on the side of lost instructional time and teaching days and all those kinds of things that we get admonished for and or it costs you in, in certain, certain ways, um, when you do that, um, you, it, it, I, I just felt, I just see that it's got a much better outcome. I'll just say, just two short days before the storm hit, maybe three, you know, my wife and boys and I were out fishing in the lagoon, having a beautiful time. Not thinking about stuff in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, there's something. And we caught a lot of fish that day too. <laughs> So it was a great day, but, but we were just oblivious that this thing might be coming our way because no one was really... There wasn't a sense of urgency it, about it. Yeah, maybe there was, but it, it was, wasn't with yeah. us. It just wasn't, it wasn't the, the overarching theme of get ready this week. You mm -hmm. spend, if there's a storm in the Gulf, you get ready for the week, you prepare. Mark, you don't go fishing with your family <laughs> yeah. three days before. It wasn't there. That's my lesson, mm -hmm. but I think you're going to take heat. You're going to. They're going. You're going to get criticized um, as an administrator. Oh, you. You, you know. You, you scaredy cat. You. You chicken little. It, all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter. Take it. Plan. Err on the side of safety. Mm -hmm. Use more time. Yeah, and we'll, we can take a question. And then I would love to hear from the other. Sure. And there may not have been time to do much of this, but with the legislature the last few sessions putting a more emphasis on career and technical education and such a labor shortage for workers, especially in the construction trades and so much rebuilding to be done. What is the Coastal Bend education community doing or looking at going forward to try to address that need? So a subject near and dear to my heart for many reasons. Um, 
So many, many things. Again, it goes back to the relationships. You know, that pendulum after four by four, after the, the, the legislature moved away from four by four, and, and, and frankly, the depletion of, of our resources in the schools with technical labs and shop classes and those sorts of things, put the pressure on, I say, the opportunity to community colleges to provide, and technical colleges to provide for that, right? So what's going on here? We, we don't have Sandrusi here, Mike Sandrusi with the Craft Training Center. Um, we have a close partnership with them. We have close partnerships. We have uh, 2,400 students in dual credit, many of those in the CTE areas. You know, we're, um, we know that uh, we're still behind the curve for, for Texas in terms of preparing that workforce. We're, that pendulum is still moving back towards that, you know, when House Bill 5 came, opened up our channels. That still has its rough edges to provide for that. But getting back to it, you know, we have partnerships at all the schools. We're increasing dual credit in the CTE area. Um, one of the things that I was so proud uh, of at the last legislative session is where we actually crafted law together with Chewy Hanahosa and Trent Ashby out of East Texas that opened up the continuing education uh, reimbursable uh, classes from the state. In other words, we can receive money and help operate uh, our classes to 16, or 17 and 16 year olds, not just the 18 year olds. We opened that wide open, rewrote that law. What was that for? That was to prepare the workforce at an earlier, given, give them an earlier opportunity to participate in a whole other section of, of our curriculum. It's that, it's that continuing education, non-credit side that unfortunately the state doesn't, you know, hasn't fully valued yet. You know, we're still crafting laws for that. But aside from that, it's, you know, credentialing every student at the, at the craft training center, drilling down into the, the high schools at an earlier and earlier age with that dual credit and giving them those certificates um, like never before. You know, I, I want to say that I, we don't have the numbers certified. I think we graduated, I think you hit a nerve is what you did, uh, a, a good one. We um, do at the have last, one more question from the audience, so I'll just say this. your thought and then we'll I'll just say this, I think, I think at this last graduate, we haven't certified the numbers, but I think we graduated an all-time high number of, of candidates at this last graduation. Last year was a, was a record last spring, and I think we beat it this year. We're certifying that. We'll see. Um, stay tuned. But what we saw in there, Scott Elif, Dr. Scott Elif and I were just talking about this yesterday. What I hadn't seen before is I had a representative group from over 10 high schools walking across the stage. These are 10 high schools represented with dual credit, collegiate high school, Harold T. Branch, Veterans High School, all and, and a couple others in the area, Ingleside, I think with certificates, okay? That's the essence of preparing the workforce for the future, sorry. Wow. Sir. Hi, Greg by the way, thank you. Um, so in the recent bipartisan tax bill, um, the federal government approved, I think it was $2.7 billion to the Department of Education. I don't know how much of that is coming for Hurricane Harvey, but just wanted to know, maybe this is for you, Mr. Alvarado, um, what involvement, if any, has the state government or the ESCs have or plan to have in the allocation of that money, and what does that process look like? Do you, do you all have any thoughts on the timing on, on when that money could come from the federal government? No, I'm not aware of that. I'm, I'm sure that the government, federal government speaks to the agency, uh, and then uh, they give us some information that we help to our schools. So I don't know the timeline for, for that. And do you know if, will the ESCs be involved at all in distributing or figuring out how it will be it goes to, to the It'll be through yeah. grants. Through grants. Like the ones that he mentioned earlier, I'm sure um, 
again, we haven't seen a lot in writing yet, but I believe it'll be through grants. So the money will be given to the state and then we will apply for grants. Same will be for us. Skills development, JET grants, other things like that, probably, we're, we're hopefully we'll receive those at the state and they'll be competitive. Yes. Last call for questions. Okay. Um, well, I want to thank you guys so much for being here. Um, this thank was you. a really enjoyable mm -hmm. panel. And um, I want to remind everyone in the audience that there's lunch just right outside those doors. Um, thanks, everyone, for being here. Thank you. Thank you.